0: Log Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location?
1: All right, welcome to this edition of Rescue Radio. I'm Jerry, and Marjorie's here. Hi. And uh, we're going to pray and get right into our topic of the day. So, Lord, thank you for this time today, Lord. Thank you for each one that's listening, whether they're listening live or by um, through the archive. Lord, we just thank you that the powers of the enemy are bound in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we thank you, Lord God, that every weapon formed against us does not prosper. Every thought, word, and action will be guided here by your Spirit, that the enemy cannot come in to mess up any of the technology or any of the thoughts or that are communicated here today. And we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for your leadership to uh, help us communicate this, uh, these very important truths today. And we thank you for that, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, Marjorie, we have, um, you are the author of a very significant book called Taking the Devil to Court. Yes. And um, so today we're going to be talking about that very subject. It sounds like an unusual uh, title: A lot of times, people don't think in those terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, many, most believers, I would say, do not think of those terms. Yeah, uh, that's true. Taking the devil to court. Uh, can you give us a little background of of that book and the, the thoughts that uh, came uh, came to fruition that that brought that book together?
0: Well, taking the devil to court. Yes, every book has a story, and some books are story books, but. This, the story behind this book is kind of interesting. I had been working for about three years as a deliverance counselor in one of the main um, Christian facilities, uh, rehabilitation, uh, residential rehabilitation facilities in our area, and learned a lot about deliverance, demons, counseled a lot of people who were controlled by witchcraft, confusion, drugs, addictions, etc. And so... Um, at the point through the counseling God kept saying to me and I I remember this little phrase kept coming to my mind, Remember this, remember this. I'll show you later where it goes. Just remember it's like giving me handing me pieces of a puzzle. And um so I said, Okay, and about three years in I said, Lord, I can't remember all this stuff anymore. You're gonna have to let me write it down. So I took a sabbatical and wrote the book in about three months and um that was the first edition back in ninety 97- seven. I think it came out in 99, actually 97 or 99, one of those two. And um <clears throat> it was the the title of the book came to me at midnight one night when I was writing and I just said, "Well, Lord, what do you want to call this book?" and it just popped into my mind, Taking the Devil to Court. So that's how we got the title and the information that goes in that book. And one of the reasons just to add to that is I was concerned and and, and confused because at the time I was coming out of a lot of uh teaching and understanding that Number one, Christians cannot have demons. And so if you act like a demonized Christian, you're probably not saved. And yet I was seeing these people through this treatment program, through my other counseling uh, interactions, seeing these very sincere believers who were struggling with these overwhelming controlling um, spirits. And, and, And so there didn't seem to be an answer in the church. That's why I wrote the book.
1: And so these these were believers. These were people who really did know right. Jesus. They had received Him as their Savior. They right. were Bible believing.
0: They weren't false conversions. Christians. No, they were they were, they were they
1: were the real deal.
0: Some of them were actually going to our church at the time, and and yet they were bound by spirits of witchcraft and generational um, situations that were causing great havoc in their lives, their relationships with the, with their in their marriages, et cetera, et cetera. But I said to myself, man, if this, you know, using one or two of the particular uh, examples, man, if she's not saved after all she went through to get saved and I know what I went through to get saved. If she did all that and she's not saved, then I'm not saved. And I thought, well, I know I'm saved. So she's got to be saved. And so that's kind of how I decided that there had to be another understanding of what was going on here.
1: All right. Now there's a, there's a lot of people think that the idea of the devil and demons there are surveys that have been taken that people believe that there, there's no such thing as the devil, or the devil is some impersonal evil force. And and many in the secular realm these days, many people uh, yeah, deal with or uh, diagnose uh, various issues people have as you know, psychological, physical, mm-hmm. psychological, uh, mental health issues. How how does the demonic play into all that I mean we've kind of misinterpreted it seems to me Uh, many people have misinterpreted and had mislabeled issues people have Mm -hmm. and and taking the devil out of the equation
0: well that's exactly right taking the devil out of the equation gives us a wrong answer if you don't set up the problem right in math and or you don't put the right factors in the equation and you don't do it in the right order of operations you will not get a right answer And so when you take the devil out of the equation and the only two elements in it are God and me, then to explain all the hideous evil out there in the world, either God's got to be bad or I'm bad. And of course, you know, nobody wants to do either. God's not, you know, some people think God's bad, but he's known to be good and he's goodness. And and so you don't ever get a, a true final finished explanation. I think that's part of the problem in the church these days is that they are also taking the devil out of the equation, but they're putting the devil in the details. Interesting enough, we deny the devil, and yet we have movies about him. And I just heard a secular newscaster yesterday explain one of the little uh, hoo-ha things that went on in the legislature as the devil is in the details. And I think, how can the devil be in the details if there is no devil? Give me, give me a straight answer, and I think a lot of people don't really know. I mean, we're so, we know it, but we don't want to know it. And so, and in the church, we don't want to deal with it because a lot of people are coming up from a Calvinist percep- perspective, uh, perceptive perception, yeah, that's a word, perception or perspective uh, or foundation that declares that man is depraved and, and has a, a sinful human nature, uh, innate sinful human nature, which of course goes very contrary to the old the Genesis, uh, one twenty six and seven made in the image of God statements that God made. So people are just plain old confused, and I think in a lot of the confusion, uh, if they would put the devil back in the equation and take the devil to court, their lives would make a whole lot more sense.
1: Well, what about the idea of the, the, the devil uh, in, in, in people's lives? Let's, let's talk about a little bit about the, uh, the power of Satan. Many times people, like you said, do not want to talk about the devil. In other words, mm-hmm. it's like Scary. it's it's like uh, you know I saw a two uh, poster many years ago uh, along the freeway by uh, it was sponsored by the American Dental Association, mm-hmm. and it said ignore your teeth and you know they'll go away, mm-hmm. and uh, and so some people have the idea let's just not deal with the devil let's just oh, not sure. talk about him. and and the idea well you can pass it off and say well Satan is defeat is a defeated foe. Jesus Christ has defeated him at the cross, so, so we don't have to worry about the devil. Right. And, and, and so how, well, how does this work?
0: It's a half-truth, and yes. half-truths are basically lies.
1: Well, Satan, Jesus Christ came to destroy him that had power the devil the evil
0: one he, did, he he actually for this
1: purpose was the Son of God manifest, manifest that he might destroy the, work the, works, of the works of the devil but sometimes I know I think sometimes you know when we talk about the enemy we get accused about of um, saying, well, we're talking too much about the devil right. we should be focusing more on Jesus and, too and we much. do we do focus on Jesus Christ but one more thing that I want I was just talking about. Uh, reading recently in the Popular Mechanics magazine about the uh, various uh, special forces, how the conventional warfare has changed so much, and so much of our warfare now is done by special forces. Mm -hmm. You know, we we thought of the Green Berets back in the Vietnam era, special ops, Navy SEALs, all that sort of thing. But these guys, you could say, well, they should be just focusing on the greatness of America, but they spend years uh, in training, physical training, and learning about the enemy. Mm-hmm. They spend time, they ha- they learn about the enemy. They learn about the culture and the nations where they're re- reaching. So they have to, I mean, it's, it's just, to me, silly to think that we should not, you know, to fight a war, you have to know the enemy. In sports, you have to know what your opposition is. And so...
0: So the question is: Is there a devil? We
1: have to we have to recognize the fact that there is the enemy. So there's there's really nothing wrong, right? But the problem is studying and learning mm -hmm. about the enemy and how he operates.
0: Well, I think a lot of people in the Christian world uh, do exactly what you said. They they say the devil is a defeated foe. You're making too much of a deal, a big deal about it. You're talking too much about him, and in that, you're giving him too much power, too much credit. Uh, just leave the devil alone. He'll leave you alone. Yeah, you leave your your country, your freedom alone. You leave your dishes alone. Well, they they're gonna they're, the dishes aren't gonna do them themselves, and your freedom is not gonna be preserved. It's gonna it's gonna go away. And so there's our teeth as well as you mentioned. So it's a matter of you know we want to live in denial. I think a lot of our our safety is false safety because we're living in a place of, I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to believe in it. I don't want to think about it. It doesn't exist in my world. And yes, maybe war doesn't exist in your world, like the green berets and the Navy SEALs are fighting over there and wherever, but that war is just as real. And there is a real enemy and they are really wise to study their enemy. And the thing is, Jesus came to defeat the powers of darkness. He left the church behind to enforce that, that, that victory. And we, as a church, however, have sloughed off. We don't believe that it's, it, you know, that, okay, it's under the blood, but it needs to be enforced. That is our legal premise for taking the devil to court. The very fact that what he is doing now in a Christian believer's life is trespassing on the temple property of the Most High God. Therefore, you have a case to take him to court because Jesus defeated. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid our debt in full. The wages of sin was, has been completely paid for the wages of sin is death. Was completely paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. So now we have a case that we can legitimately present before the high court of heaven and taking the devil to court.
1: We have the authority as believers to enforce the victory. That's what you mentioned, Marjorie. Correct. Enforce the victory that Jesus won over him at Calvary. So we've been given authority to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Now we've been given authority to. Uh, we've been given authority to cast out demons. Correct. So Mark sixteen. Uh he, he said in Luke 10, Jesus said, uh, he, he said, I give you power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall anybody, by any means hurt you. And so.
0: So, uh, but, but do people believe that?
1: So. Actually,
0: no. we're kind of flipping uh, positions here, but I'm asking you the question. But I think where we both know the answer is that. uh Again, going back to taking the devil to court, it sounds messy. It sounds like uh, something for the experts, the exorcists, the ones who uh, have been trained in that sort of thing. But God, Jesus, when he was here, gave that power, as you just mentioned, to bind and loose and and to trample on serpents and scorpions over over all the power of the enemy. Gave it to common believers who are not educated in any particular thing except that they follow Jesus and they watch Jesus cast out a lot of demons and and take power and authority over a lot of the the spiritual forces of the darkness, including infirmities and, and the weather and various other things that the demons were actively involved in messing with. And so they saw the, the really, what we refuse again to see is the, de- the depth of a spiritual world that is very, very real, even though we cannot tangibly touch it or see it with our, our eyes.
1: We see the results of mm-hmm. what's going on in the background with the, the spiritual world. So... So what's the difference here? Okay, we've been given authority to cast demons out mm-hmm. over the power of the enemy. But then what about this, the concept of taking the devil to court? Okay. Well, the, the courtroom aspect of this. In other words, if someone, is, say, is, is, has, is demonized and we can minister to them in authority in Jesus' name, we, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit, he will identify that spirit. We can cast it out in the name of Jesus. So that's, that's one of the aspects of it. But what about, Marjorie, the, the, uh, the aspect of taking the devil to court? Huh? Let's, let's explore that.
0: Well, using the word exploring, good segue. It's like this. A doctor who is going to do a surgery, a major surgery on a particular organ in a particular patient, that doctor has to have an overview and an understanding of the complete anatomy of a human body in order to go after mm-hmm. one particular organ. If he doesn't understand how the heart pumps blood, how, the, how we need oxygen constantly, and all those things need to be addressed before he starts cutting into the area where he wants to adjust or remove a, a, a situation, a, surga- a, t- a tumor, or an organ, or whatever. If he doesn't understand the context of, in which that surgery is going to uh, be performed, that patient may die. And if we do not understand the context of spiritual warfare and the judicial system under which uh, this, this whole earth functions, then we will not be able to be effective or take the authority with the kind of uh, confidence that we need to address specific elements, renegade, maverick, illegal operations of Satan in this, in this, in this world, this body called earth. And so um, to understand, really, the delicate specifics of casting out a demon, for example, what Jesus did all the time, he, he knew how it worked. He knew the authority the devils had, where they got it from, where they were trespassing. And simply because he knew all that stuff, he had the authority to point his finger and say, be gone in the name of, you know, he didn't say in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, be gone, go, uh, out, whatever. And he, because he understood, and I think taking the devil to court has to cause us to set ourselves up in a whole new paradigm of understanding of Scripture. If you just ask me, how do I know that, that this is all a legal paradigm? Uh, the Bible, the, the, the concept of, of everything in the Bible is set on legal terms and legal uh, a premise. I would just ask you to, to look at the number of words in the Bible that are judicial words, that have to do with courts, that have to do with uh you know uh taking someone to court uh, you've got the words judge the righteous judge judgment judging judged justified accused accuser advocate witness witnesses um you are my witnesses law lawbreakers ordinances condemnation con- condemned sin transgression of the law uh, sinner one who transgresses the law uh you have god's command to present your case bring forth your strong reasons um, God calls himself the righteous judge. Uh, we're already condemned according to Jesus. The commandments are based on the laws of justice, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the law of reciprocity, of course, the reciprocal kind of effects, fair, unfair. Um, God is, you know, we say he's fair and not partial, uh, no respect of persons. Um, he's not persuaded by bribes. This is all stuff that talks about courts, judges, judicial systems, uh, knowing the truth in the law. The letter of the law kills um, and even in things like Daniel, the court was seated. Courts, evidence mm-hmm. uh, of courts and testimonies. All of these things talk to us about the, the real serious uh, legal, the context of and premises and ordering of the natural world that is, and the, and the spiritual world that is superimposed over it as one of judicial uh, justice, judicial systems.
1: So what we're talking about is, too often, what we do is we look at the scenes of what's going on in our world, but we don't look behind the scenes. Right. So behind this this really gets behind the scenes. What's mm-hmm. behind um, the the problems, the issues, the bondages that we see? What's what's behind this? Mm-hmm. And not only what's what's back there. How do we deal with it? Well, how do we how do we go back there and deal with it effectively? and with authority in the name of Jesus. Well, first of all, let's look at what we have right in front of us before
0: we go back there, but that's exactly what we have to do. In front of us, we see injustice. We see offense. We see sin. We see things that are not fair. We see iniquity. We see all of these things sitting in front of us. We're part of it. We've been victimized by these things. The question is, and why do we scream and holler, that's not fair, if there isn't a system in place to make it fair? Innately, we know, built by God to know the truth and know what justice looks like. And and I believe that in the context of that divine identity, innate, knowing nature of knowing the truth and desire for justice, because God is love, God is mercy, God is just. And so we have in us an innate desire for justice. There must be a system or mechanism through which we can get that justice, seeing as this world is not that mechanism. Our human courts are fallible, and so our only hope for peace, justice, truth, um, correction is in some divine system of justice, some court, if you will.
1: Coming before the righteous judge. Judge
0: of all the this earth, God. who will not at all acquit the wicked Martin. or pardon the wicked, but vindicates. He has That's another word that's, that's often used, vindicate. Uh, God vindicates the psalm. The psalmist they vindicate me, O Lord, many, many words in there. Uh, the word witness, testimony; these words are frequently used. Uh, even the new and old and New Testaments have to do with the testimony of, you know, uh, uh, legally passing uh, inheritances on and um, bringing us into the the death of Jesus Christ, which makes us now inheritors of his his inheritance, eternal life. We're part joint heirs with him. So all of these things are very legal and set up in a legal parameters. Jesus said. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the law itself had to be dealt with by Jesus Christ in order to put it in its place. The law was a, as it says, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's a placeholder until we grow up. It was a place, God, God used the law to define his people, to identify his people, and to protect his people from what? The accuser of the brethren who would, was looking for any little, uh, flaw, any little fault, any little uh, breaking of the law, any little incident that he could use to bring evidence against these people that they were truly not God's people, and he then, Satan, had a right to judge them. If you don't put Satan in and his activities of uh, demonic uh, judgments and the law of reciprocity and eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that's demonic justice, by the way, if you don't put those things in the equation, nothing makes sense and everything makes bad God look bad, everything. So um,
1: when now, OK, what's talking about we're, we're taking the devil to court. This this sounds like an overwhelming task for I mean, y you, you know, do you have to be some super, super spiritual muscle man in the kingdom of God to be able to do this? Or no, how talk <laughs> to us about uh, regular believers mm-hmm. taking the devil to court. So this is this is not just for. Well, um, you know, certain people, but a lot of people don't know how to do this, have, have not the first clue right. as, to, as to how to do this. But let's talk to us about, you know, how do we enter into that as, mm-hmm. as, as a believer? Well, how do we kind of begin that uh, that process of taking a, the devil to court? Yeah,
0: taking the devil to court. Uh, and this is kind of a, an, a, for me, this is a, I don't know, well, how many years ago was 1997? This is a 20-year-old concept, whatever. I don't do my math on, on the radio, but anyway. Uh, I don't do my math in front of people. Let's put it that way.
1: Okay. All right.
0: <laughs> do the math yourself. But anyway, nowadays, it's kind of coming out, and we've had various authors talking about the courts of heaven and coming before the court of heaven. Well, that's 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 good because that's exactly what needs to be done because we need to understand the paradigm. We need to understand the context, the premises, and the ordering of this natural world, and this natural world is out of order it's, it's full of iniquity and offenses and injustices. And so there has to be Jesus set up. A, 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 he says, come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy to find help in, in the time of trouble. Come be, boldly before the court of heaven. Present your case. But, and he also said to the church that they were to make, make, make known the, the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers. So Jesus set the record straight and gave us, uh, you know, um, arguing rights, if you will. Uh, that we can debate the devil, we can, we can challenge him, we can take him to court, we can enforce the justice of God, uh, the salvation of God. Because if you look at it, the heavenly standards, the kingdom of God, the original kingdom that ruled on this earth, their standards were love and kindness and the law of love and the law of faith and kindness, you know, trust, goodness, Faith in the promises of God, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And when Satan came down here and overtook it, he overthrew it. He usurped the kingdom. He 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 encaptured it. He he enslaved it. Um, everything that was good, the law of love, was overthrown for the law of of bloodshed and oppression and tyranny and intimidation and sin. When Jesus came back, he set he reset the so temporarily God had to give the law of God, which was the law of commandments, so that if the people kept those laws, they were technically protected from Satan's accusations because if they were obedient because all the law, all the war, all the determinations are made under the one concept, and that is the concept of obedience, whom you yield yourself, servant to obey, his you become, whom, whose report you believe, that's who, who, who becomes the controller of you, and so if, our, if our, 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 um, we are being controlled by the lie Believing a lie, we're going to sin. And then the devil gathers up all that sin as evidence that we are truly his because we're practicing um, lies and believing him and his subjects. Therefore, he goes to God and says, God, I have a right to bring this demonic judgment on them. I have a right to bring this heart attack on him because there is still a ton of bloodshed, unconfessed blood guilt in his bloodline, and he has never known in his blood. Four generations, they have never done a thing about it. They keep murdering, killing, uh, suiciding. Uh, and so therefore now I am coming before you, God, this day, to request that I give you know, so-and-so a heart attack because of the law of reciprocity. And so therefore God is, he says, yeah, you got a point, uh, Jesus died, but the blood of Jesus, the advocacy of Jesus is not applied to the case because the man or woman doesn't even know that there's a case being held, uh, presented against them, a crime, and, and Satan is charging them, pressing charges against them. So they don't go to heaven, and they don't, they, they, they do all kinds of things, but they don't go to the root of the problem.
1: The root of the problem oftentimes is generational curses. Abs- so, well, so,
0: that's so, an indication. That's an
1: indication, Okay. But this is something that you you've discovered, and, and uh, it's not unique to you. There's others that are discovering this. There are things being written and presented, and teachings that are coming out about mm-hmm. various generational curses. But these these are are patterns that there's generational blessings,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: And and there's generational curses. There are patterns that come that we have to go into and and deal with those. In the name Correct. of Jesus.
0: Well, the thing is, there, there's still, you see, there's heaven, there's earth, and at this point there's the kingdom of hell who rules earth for the most part. However, the kingdom of heaven has made an invasion back into the earth. So there is a war going on, and there's a constant debate uh, in heaven about you, a debate in your mind, in your soul, in your, in your emotions, that comes against a debate that the Spirit will raise in favor of you against such accusations. And that debate needs to stop somewhere. There needs to be someone who hears that case. And we will declare that that is, as God says, it is the court of heaven. God is the righteous judge, the judge who cannot do wrong, the judge of all the earth. So when there's an injustice and Satan is truly violating or trespassing and you truly do now belong to Jesus Christ, owned by him, the devil is still trying to control, invade, squat on your property, whatever he's trying to do. Um, just because you're the owner of land doesn't mean that there won't be squatters on that land. Uh, doesn't mean that there won't be laws passed to try to enter upon your freedoms on that land. You own, you're the owner, but there's still operations being set up against you. And so we take those crimes inflicted, those offenses, those injustices to a place. And that place is the high court of heaven.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too. You know, the, one of the, um, concepts of court is you're the accuser or the right or the the plaintiff mm-hmm. in the case. And it's interesting. Revelation twelve ten it says and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God our God day and night. Mm-hmm. has been cast down mm-hmm. now this is something in a sense it's already happened what Jesus did on the cross, but the f- completion of this uh, process is is uh, yet to, yet to come, but the time has come it, you know the accuser of the brethren and he is actively what you're saying Margie, just to support this biblically uh accusing us before God, the brethren mm-hmm. he's accusing the brethren, not, not just the unbelievers. He's accusing the brethren before our God day and night. Mm-hmm, that's right.
0: And, and the concept, well, even if you go back to just, again, looking at what your Bible says, people, actually the problem, the real problem is people don't read their Bible themselves. You know, you eat maybe one meal, junk meal a, a week and then you snack on junk food and you listen to other people's messages, you read your t- little tiny devotional that maybe hits a sore spot for the day, but you really don't grow in understanding what truly your rights are, uh, what's, what's the whole deal, what's really going on down here. You don't want to maybe know, or you don't have time to know, you're too tired to know, but you're already overtaken in those areas where you're too tired, exhausted, or distracted. And the quietness, the peace uh, of listening and, and coming into the revelation of Jesus Christ takes a bit of of determination to pull away from all the busyness of the city life or the, 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 you know, whatever that all means in your world, schedules, busyness, trying to make a living. But because if you look at the Word of God, it's really all in there. It's not, this is not a mystery. This isn't something I just pulled out of the hat. It's there for anybody. I'm, an, I'm not a theologian, and yet if you're reading the Bible carefully, this is what I find. In the Bible, it talks about righteousness. We all know that. It talks about justice. It talks about debts. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Jesus talked about that. Trespasses. Indebtedness. What does this imply? Forgiveness. All this implies the need for, there's injustices, there's sins, there's a need for enforcement, there's a need for justice, there's a need uh, for a court, a judicial system that will enforce and bring back to peace and truth and balance and and justice and righteousness that which has been tossed out of balance by the enemy. Um, And so... It, all the world, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's all about legalities. It's all And all of these words just really talk to us a lot about that. But God, at, at this point now, after he created the law, he gave the law to the ch- children of Israel. And they were wandering in the wilderness. They had the Ten Commandments. They added many, 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 many more laws. By the time it got to Jesus, there was 10,000 laws added to the first original ten and they were failing and every time you break a law the devil can come and say you should have could have and it's your fault you broke a law you're guilty and therefore he can lay upon you a guilt, even if that law is bogus is
1: is this is no how If you
0: believe it's a genuine genuine legitimate law then he can do that too.
1: Okay what about him as the Satan as the accuser of the brethren what what is he accusing us of what what could he be accusing the brethren of those who are believers
0: Well the bottom line is, he is accusing us of not believing God, of not trusting God, and and, and tricks us into. He here's. It's very simple. The devil takes advantage of our vulnerabilities, our needs. We're very vulnerable down here. Our bodies are vulnerable. You know, um, uh, we need water, food, love, meaning, purpose, right air pressures and temperatures, etc. Cetera, et cetera. We're very very vulnerable. That doesn't mean we're bad just because we're weak and vulnerable. Babies are weak and vulnerable. It doesn't mean they're bad. But Satan takes advantage of that. He pushes us into a a corner with depletion or desperation or, um, you know, he drains us of our resources. Then he parades past us a solution to the problem that will be a quick fix or take away the pain or whatever it will do. And the minute you come into an agreement with his solution, you become his slave. And, and that's called, uh, in James 1, it's talked about God does not tempt us, the devil tempts us. We're led away of our own lusts or t- desires and enticed. And when we give in to the devil's suggestions or solutions to that problem, it becomes sin. And so, therefore, technically, legally, Satan can go to God and say, look, they're listening to me. And, and even, even if we're doing righteous things like Job and Abraham, Satan will come before God and, and present a case to make up something. Like, look at Job. You know, he just serves you because you give him everything. He's a rich man. You made him rich. And that's why he serves you. He really doesn't love you. So, so Satan is both challenging this law of love. He's challenging the law of love constantly, um, whether it's saying to God, we don't love him or saying to us, God doesn't love us. It's all about he's trying to. And so the, the criteria here, the critical uh, issue is, do you believe God? Do you believe God no matter what it looks like? Do you believe God no matter how you feel? Do you believe God no matter what's happening in your world? Do you trust him? Do you trust him to keep his promises? Do you trust that God is good, God is real, and God is faithful? Satan is trying to make God responsible for everything that's bad that's going on out here in the world. And therefore, we are in a position where we're actually judging God. We're judging God as not keeping his word. If God is so good, so powerful, why is he letting all this bad stuff happen? The minute you think that thought, if God is so good, then why, why did he let this happen? Then you are in a position where Satan is tempting you to test, to judge God, to test God's goodness, but also to judge God for not being good. And so that becomes the pressure. Will you, no matter what it feels like, looks like, or, or what you think, or what comes into your mind, or what has happened to you, will you continue to believe what you already were built by God to know, and that is that he is good, and that he can be trusted, he's trust, trustworthy. So the issue becomes a test of trust. Will you trust God to solve that problem, or will you take the devil's solution to the problem and then come under the enslavement of the devil? So it's very tricky, and it's, it's, it's all about debate. It's about war, but it's bottom line. Do you really walk in the law of faith and the law of love, or do you walk in the law of fear? Does that make sense?
1: It certainly does. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. Mm-hmm. And if anyone sins, so he's writing now to believers, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, or he's the uh, the complete atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. So really, if we have an advocate, it shows to me like here's here 's a war here here 's yeah. a courtroom scene, so if as a believer, if I would sin, Satan would come accused look look what he just did, look what he just thought right and but what who is right there, Jesus Christ is the advocate, he yeah. is our uh, our defense attorney, yes, so to speak, and he is for us he 's not against us, and he is setting the record straight because he himself is the atoning sacrifice for us. He has already taken care of it, and and, and we're just simply, uh, and he is appropriating that and basically kind of shoving that in the devil's face and saying, hey, I've got him. My blood, my sacrifice has covered that.
0: Mm -hmm. That's right. But that's why it's so important in taking the devil to court to understand that We are not justified on the basis of keeping the law. The Bible says the law can by no means justify anyone. You cannot be justified by being good or by keeping the commandments which are good because Satan loves the commandments which are good because he uses those very commandments to indict us, to accuse us, because he sets us up and we are tricked into breaking a commandment, a law, and then Satan says before God, they broke your law. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, he said... It is paid in full. It is finished. The law is satisfied. We have to understand that the law was a temporary protection measure that God gave after, not before, but after he gave Abraham the promise. God prefers to work under the idea of covenant, not law, because God is a God of love. When you enter into a marriage covenant, it's not a law, a law that you are forced now to to live and abide and be controlled by this other person, and you have to give up all your rights, and you have nothing, and they have it all, and they've got yours besides, that's a contract. That's a law. God did not want to be in that kind of a relationship with us because that would be a kind of a a condescending, disrespecting, not loving Uh, relationship. God wants us to be in covenant. So the covenant was what he made with Abraham. Abraham, it says in Romans chapter 4, was Abraham believed God. What was he believing? The promises of God that God would make him the father of many nations and give him all this land. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So his righteousness was obtained not by his perfect behavior in keeping the Ten Commandments, which he didn't even have because they didn't come until 430 years later, but it came through Abraham's believing God. So God's covenant with us is reestablished on the basis of faith, believing in the promises. That's why we talk about faith so much.
1: Backtracking just a little bit and then coming ahead again, uh, you talked about what, uh, how Satan, one of Satan's great strategies is to, to tempt us to do something to violate God's moral law, to violate the Word of God, mm-hmm. to satisfy maybe a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So he will tempt us to do that. And if we yield to that temptation, believing his lie that if we do it this way, his way, it will satisfy us. So he will tempt us to do it. He says, this is what you want to do. You know you want it. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, right. But then what happens afterwards, he says, now look what you did. So he'll accuse us. He'll come against us for the very thing he was encouraging us to do. Mhm. Exactly. And so another part of this is too. Is that you mentioned about the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ? It's or uh, in Galatians three twenty four that we might be justified by faith. So the, the the word schoolmaster it's used in the King James and I think in the New King James means a tutor. It means it means originally meant one that would take yeah. take the children to school, mm-hmm. and later it came to mean an instructor or a teacher. So. Basically, the law showed us couldn't keep the law. It showed us that we were not able to, on our own, uh, live according to the standards God had set for us.
0: Yes, that is true. But the thing is, because we're innately desirous to be good, because God is good and he made us to des- desire goodness, uh, we have this desire to to take on the challenge of being good and to keep the law. And so that, that becomes a trick to the believer because now it's hard. You know, people like lists. They like to be able to check off their good deeds. They like to, okay, I went to church. Okay, I went to confession. Okay, I did my. Read my
1: Bible for an hour. I fasted. Today, I did this. Yeah. I did
0: that. Oh, they don't read the Bible for an hour. That's not
1: on the list anymore. Well, honey. maybe. But anyway, for so the most do, part. Uh,
0: yeah, but, but see, the thing is, we, we like it simple. We like it, you know, so I'm in control. I've got my list done for the day. We love it. We love our goal setting. We love our list making because we feel like we've accomplished something. We can see some progress being made. And we don't like this free floating, walking in the spirit, not sure, you know, where we're at. You know, it it doesn't feel very solid under our feet, whatever. And so we, we really are pulled back as believers into a desire to use the law as our standard of justice and righteousness. But let me tell you something. The law or the keeping of the law cannot justify anyone in the sight of God because that's what the Bible says. It says the, the law can justify no one. It says but we are, it is our schoolmaster. It was the, the, the instructor. It was the, uh, you know, you don't live under a schoolmaster forever, I hope. You don't want to go to school the rest of your life. You want to graduate at some point. And God had them, his children, under the tutoring of a schoolmaster those many years in the desert and then following that some parameters, because it was yet a long time before Jesus Christ would come. So he had to preserve some sense of order and some sense of uh, protection and, and righteousness. So they were the carriers of that, uh, keeping that time, filling that time with what we would decide, you know, which was right, keeping the law was righteous. It wasn't provi- providing the righteous, but because they were obeying it. And it had been given by God. God considered that their, uh, their uh, avenue of righteousness. But when Jesus comes, then that switches over to his righteousness. And so even in today's, I, you know, in today's natural world, we do need the law. We have the law. We have traffic laws. We have all kinds of laws, bureaucratic laws. More all and more over, laws over every the year. But the, the hope is that in the natural world, that when we have these laws, we keep the law, that we will be, if accused, we will be justified and vindicated uh, because we will have a righteous judge who will say, uh, comparing us up against the law, we have kept the law, we were not violating the speed limit, we were not, you know, uh, whatever. So the law in the natural world only works truly to bring justice if we have a just judge or or a just jury. And so, but the thing is, in the kingdom of God, the law is now basically completed, satisfied, and to the believer, actually obsolete. To the, un- to the unbeliever, the law is still the mechanism through which things are determined. But to the believer, the mechanism of justification now comes through the death of Jesus Christ because the law has been satisfied. So in the spiritual kingdom, the situation is a little different because, um, because here's why. All of us, because of the law, have been charged as guilty by the accuser. We were all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were already, either with or without knowledge of sin, we had already been tossed into that, into that rink, into that pen, into that um, judgment. All have sinned, and transgressed the law, fallen short of the glory of God. Of course, that's Romans 3.23. So at that point, everybody is now eligible for salvation and everybody is in need of it. So justification, by believing in Jesus Christ, would come as a free gift. No one could earn it. We couldn't even, we were so enslaved, we couldn't even die for our own sin. That was how limited our, our, our uh, privileges were. We couldn't even give our own life for our own sin. It would not be considered uh, valid or legitimate. So justification then came as a free gift to whosoever will. So now it becomes a, a point of love again if you choose Love isn't made, you're making a choice to, you know, when you love someone, you're not being coerced into going there and being with them. Sometimes people do. They make their choices to marry someone, for example, out of fear, coercion, or what would other people think, or, you know, they're being temporarily deceived. But the two wonderful promises of marriage is to find someone who loves you and who you love. However, nowadays, most people don't perceive love, and they don't know how to give love, so it's a very painful um, proposition for most people From half the people at least And so um, comes through What we would call grace And that means you're, you're pardoned you're, The judgment The guilt is pardoned Because um, it is Given through the redemption of Christ Jesus that is in Christ Jesus So that makes Jesus Christ now The Savior, the center point The cross is the peace Where now I go to the court of heaven And I say Lord God Here's the deal. God says, when you sin, here's what you do. He didn't say, go back and do penance, go back and and do 40 days of, of, you know, fasting, go back and make it right. Go back and, 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 you know, you have to go back to square one now, and then you have to work your way back. You had 20 days of sobriety. Now you lost all those. Now you got to go back to start with day one. God does not say that when you sin, God doesn't say it's a, it's a big, horrible, you know, go back and type of process. he says, confess your sin and why does he say that why does he say repent and confess because repent means to change your mind what does that mean stop believing the lie the, the, your mind was was hooked into believing a lie that taking the the solution the devil had given you repent change your mind stop doing that and confess it as error as sin and you say god you're right i was wrong that's all god needs and once that happens you've unhooked from that agreement um that has brought you into servitude to satan and now you can present your case before God. So you go to God and you say, okay, Lord God, I come before you today as your your daughter, your son, uh, made in your image, created, brought forth by your will. I come before you as, and then I would say if I'm coming on my behalf or on behalf of my children or my my family, I say I'm coming as the authorized representative of myself or my bloodline or my sons and daughters, as Job did, to Confess our sins. You know, Job confessed the sins of his children. That was interesting. He thought they might be sinning, partying hardy too much. And so he would go before God and, and confess their sins, which was a good thing to do, which was he had it right. And so um, confess their sins. I also have the power and authority to confess the sins of my generations past. So if there's blood guilt and murder and bloodshed in that bloodline, I can come before God and say and even look closely and find out where that offense That crime has come down to affect even my my parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, cousins, nieces, nephews, whatever. I can come and say, God, I am a bloodline representative here. And I confess the atrocity that happened to my great grandparents and being abandoned by their their fathers, their parents, by being sold into slavery, by sent off into prostitution, by being, um, you know, uh, sexually assaulted, whatever, all these, whatever the crime. And there are many different crimes. I'm just using a few examples. You can say, "I, I, I, I turn the, I forgive." See, that's why forgiveness is very important in this system of justice and taking the devil to court.
1: What about someone that wants to kind of uh, de? How can I say, um, disengage the? Um, the sins, the sins of generations, but if you, well, don't, know, if you don't know what they are, well, you know, how, how do you deal with that? Well, you
0: can read that. You don't,
1: you don't know what grandpa and grandma did back there. But
0: you but can read a line both ways. If you have, you can, it, the line is the same. So you, if you have the front information, you can read it backwards. If you have the back information, you can predict forward. And so a line is a line, and it's going to go the same, same way, the same direction the whole time. And so, so if you don't know what they did, you see what's going on now, just read it backwards and you know what they did because there is nothing that happens without a reason. The curse without a cause does not come. But going back to forgiveness, when I come before the high court of heaven, I have to acknowledge the judge. And the judge is the Lord God himself, and I am not a judge. That's why the Bible says do not judge, judge not. Don't make yourself the judge over this matter, judge not. Uh, Paul says I don't judge anything before the time. And so... Um, God has got to be the judge. So if I'm going to judge the matter, then the case is in my court, and I have no power to make anything happen, good or bad. But if I give the case over to the high court of heaven, and I know the righteous judge of all of the earth is there, righteously consider my case, and, pre- and as I present it, and he's not going to um, try to indict me on false charges, but he's, he's righteous, then I can freely say, you know, Lord, I come as the authorized representative to forgive, which means I release this crime the situation from my judgment, I forgive it. I turn it over. Forgiveness means to turn the the crime over to the high court of heaven, really. I turn the crimes over to you. And forgiveness does not mean that you have to deny there was a crime. A lot of people don't want to forgive because they're too hooked up on there was a crime. There was an injustice. I can't just let this thing go. And you're right. You can't just let this thing go, but you surely can take it to a court where you can get for sure justice on it. I'm sure you'd love to do that. Take it to a court where they don't make any mistakes and they're not bribed and they don't they don't settle out of court uh, unjustly, and, the, and the, the, the bad guy doesn't get off scot-free, okay? So you take it to this court. You say, I forgive it, God. I turn the crimes. There are crimes here, crimes of abuse, abandonment, rejection, violation, uh, hatred, uh, murder, uh, <laughs> pulling knives on one another, whatever. I turn these crimes over to you, Lord God, and I release them from my judgment. And I'm asking you as the righteous judge of all the earth, Lord, as I confess this thing as a sin, I forgive the people who did it. I confess my own sins. I repent of of my sins and confess theirs. I I ask you, Lord God, to restore unto us what the criminal, who is the criminal here? We think it's flesh and blood. We think it's ISIS. We think it's our neighbor down the street. We think it's our wife, husband. That is not your enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against demons. And a dark po- forces of evil who have in- it taken over and control these people, using them as puppets or pawns or instruments in their hands. And so I turn the crimes over to God and ask God to judge the criminal, who is the one who will be cast forever into the lake of fire. Now maybe he, this this criminal, has accomplices which are human beings, but that's God's problem. Those are God's servants, God's creation. They belong to God. They're God's problem. So I say, God judge the criminal. The spirit of of a, a, a rejection, the spirit of um, uh, bitterness, the spirit of anger, the spirit of, of of loss, poverty. And I ask God to bless those who curse me with a revelation of Jesus Christ, the humans, not the demons. And I ask God to restore that the court of heaven would restore. Hear my petition. I, come to, I, I present my, uh, my, my advocate, Jesus Christ, as, well, she's righteous. She has a right to be here. So I present my case under the uh, blessing of my attorney, who is my advocate, the Holy Spirit also, who brings these, uh, he, I think the Holy Spirit's the one who puts the case together in my spirit so I can present it logically and understandingly to the Lord. And then I say, God, I ask that the court would now restore unto me what's been stolen from me or my family, the, the, the destiny, the, the, the soundness of mind and heart, the ability to understand to rem- that are the, the soundness of my mind to be restored, to remember to grasp the things of God uh, justice, purity, peace uh, integrity, honor, mercy, favor blessing, uh, financial blessings whatever whatever has been stolen from you, you ask the court to restore now here 's one difference. A lot of people forgive. I say, Did you forgive? Well, yeah, I forgave, but what does that mean? Well, that just means I let it go. That just means I, I, I'm going to let it go. No, that's not, a, that's not a really adequate way to forgive. You forgive by, by turning it over to the high court of heaven mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and bringing it before God. And that's how you take the devil to court because you have to, you are pressing charges against the devil for what he has done to you illegally.
1: So really, what you what you're looking for in a court appearance, it, what, the goal of it is is a verdict. You they want that we want justice, right? You want the right thing to be done. So mm-hmm. it's the verdict. Now, is this verdict? Does Satan try to undo the verdict that you make when you take him to court?
0: Well, the verdict but, God makes, of course, He
1: does. Well, here here's let me just say this, and then uh, Matthew eighteen eighteen assuredly. I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we are authority. We, the strength of taking the devil to court, is that we have we take the authority we've been given to bind and loose, and heaven backs it up. Heaven right, seals. Exactly. God seals it. He 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 passes then- down the verdict. Uh or. I, I and, think that yeah, yeah, he declares the verdict, yeah. and and then manages. it's 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 held.
0: Well, it's held, but it also has to be enforced, and that's the problem. A lot of um, even in natural courts, worldly
1: human courts, the verdict comes, and then there's an appeal, and and, right. and it, it can, can drag out. And but and at it's, the same time, sometimes it's a criminals joy. can off get off the hook because of of long appeals and smart attorneys.
0: R- well, we're yeah, we're pretty disillusioned with the justice system. Yeah. I'm sure. Everybody is, except those who maybe are behind it and can manipulate it. And it, is, it brings great grief and sorrow because a lot of innocent people are determined to be guilty. But at the same time, in the court of heaven, as you spoke of, when the court rules, and I think in Daniel it says the court will be seated, there will be a day when we will be yes. seated as members of that court to judge angels, if you will. That's what it says in the Bible. Uh, but at this point, when the Lord re- rules in favor of peace, forgiveness, um, restoration now begins the battle that the court has ruled in our favor. But will we continue to walk in that faith and know faith in knowing that that is truly what's happening? Because the devil will come back and try to get to to wrangle that that um, that ruling away from us and make us again feel guilty or set us up again in breaking a law or encroach again coming in subtly through the edges of our life, our world, our mind, our emotions our our, our awarenesses to corrupt us again. He, he's not done. Though the verdict has been declared and it will be done and finished by when we see Jesus face to face all these things will be made right. But for now we must stand it says in Ephesians and having done all to stand. And he's talking about standing in the righteous judgments of God, standing in the truth, standing in knowing that you know what you know, standing in that even though the devil makes you feel guilty, that you are not under the law, and that if you do sin, which you will, because we are all going to still be tricked by the devil even after we're saved, that when you're tricked, you go to God, you say, God, I got deceived, I got tricked, I believed a lie, I I ask you to forgive me. You're right, I'm wrong. I confess. Now Lord, I ask you in mercy to remove the demonic judgment, because the devil is going to petition God at that moment to bring another demonic judgment upon you based on guilt, because he's going to get you to believe that you are responsible. Now, let me just, a little thing the Lord showed me this morning, um, you know, the, the devil loves the words religion and responsibility. And he uses those like two crutches, and he causes the believer to limp along crutches of responsibility and religion. And they never run or walk in the spirit of God because they're always walking under the parameters of of rituals, religion, laws, legalism, rigidity, and responsibility. God does not use the word responsibility in the Bible. He uses the word faithful because he knows the devil will use that word and then he'll add and tag onto it all kinds of shoulds. You were responsible. You should have known better. It's your fault. And those are the devil's favorite accusations, the favorite leading lines. It's your fault. You should have known better. It was your responsibility. You are guilty. And that is where we get to choose whether I say, yes, I'm guilty or no, I'm not. And you must, you know, maybe everything in you wants to feel guilty, take on that guilt. You must resist and say, you know what, devil, you set me up. This is not my problem. God knows knows my heart. And God does know your heart knows your heart better than you know it. The devil's trying to tell you what's in your heart. God knows what's going on. And so I go back to God and say, God, you know the truth. You know what happened. You're like Eve. I, God, this certain deceived me. You know, and, and God didn't say, well, that's too bad. You chose because the choosing comes after the deception. The fish doesn't bite the hook until the hook is set with a lie. And so therefore you say, well, the little fish chose to be caught. No, he didn't. He was looking for lunch. And he got tricked into believing the hook was lunch, and therefore he got caught on hook. he was deceived. And so many times people say, well, it was your responsibility, you made a bad choice, you broke the law. You know what? The law is the now, in your life as a believer, is the law of faith and love. That's what it is. You walk in that law, and you have already fulfilled then all the other laws that Satan or, or uh, enforces that God first created. God created the law. Satan enforces the law. We get caught in the law unless we, li- we live in the new law of love and faith.
1: Once we've gained ground when taking the devil to court and the verdict has come when we've taken authority, do, does that put us on, under a lot of pressure to hold the ground that we've gained?
0: I don't believe so. I believe it's just simply walking in the spirit, yes. letting the Lord take it. By the way, you haven't asked me one more question. I have a question I just thought of to ask you. Yes. Is this book, Taking the Devil to Court, a book people can actually get a hold of?
1: Yes. If you go to com, you need to get that book. And uh, it is a, it was, you, you mentioned it came out in the 97, think, yeah. 99, somewhere in there. And, anyway, anyway, but then you did a revision of it. Yeah, And the same basic principles are there, but you just added to it because you just learned more. And and I had the privilege of uh, proofing that book.
0: Oh, you take responsibility. The,
1: the privilege. What's that word? <laughs> the privilege of proofing a book, and and I, I got kept getting caught up in the content. You know, proofers are supposed mm-hmm. to be just kind of just check the grammar, punctuation, all that. But the the it, it to me it is one of the most significant books that's ever been produced in the Christian world, because it it just brings out the principles and truth in detail. Based not you know on theory, based on the Word of God, based on years of y- your experience mm-hmm. in, in learning from God, in working with people, in, in being involved in ministry, dealing with people of yeah. uh, every every age group, every socioeconomic condition, every race, every uh, situations that you uh-huh. can never imagine uh, that you have dealt with. In in the name of Jesus, by His grace, and and this is the the fruit of what you have learned and what you're learning through this. And so, uh, again, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm speaking Thank totally you. objectively here, of mm-hmm. course. Of course, you must have that book. You can mm-hmm. go to liferecovery.com. dot com. Or at, it's uh,
0: also at Amazon.
1: It's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Also. It is on Amazon. Okay, uh, and Life.
0: it's in both. I think the. Uh, uh, Reader's version, like if you have an, an, a Kindle or something like that, it's the the electronic version as well as the actual hardcore book version. It
1: is is really essential. It's one of the books I'd I like to see every every church in America, every pastor in America to to uh, read, review, and 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 teach the people because it's just mm-hmm. it's just bringing out it's just bringing out what's in the Word of God that yeah. a lot of people have uh, have missed over the years. So. Yeah. Taking the devil to court, you need to have it. You do need to have it. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. thank how's, you. How's that for a sales pitch?
0: That's really good. Okay. You, you thank be you. Be my marketer. Why don't you?
1: <laughs> I, I I'm an advocate for you, honey. <laughs>
0: hey guys, thank you for listening yes. today, and um, be blessed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth, your word. That you are awesome. That you are good. That your word is true. Ab- absolutely, every bit of it. You're completely reliable. Lord, and you are good all the time. Even when things don't look good, you promise us all things work together for good. So if anybody out there is in one of those spots where it doesn't look good, just wait a day or two, ask God sh- to show you the good that's coming out of it and that he, Satan, your enemy, is a defeated foe. Don't ever believe he's not. He's already defeated at the cross 2,000 years ago. He was the heart, his, the, the stake of the cross was driven in his heart and he is, he is um, defeated completely, condemned, damned to hell. And so he doesn't need to be uh, the accuser of your life anymore. So, Father, we ask now in Jesus' name for revelation of your truth, your peace, your justice. Thank you, God. You are the righteous judge of all the earth.
1: Amen. Amen. For yourself.